Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, True Roger fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Today in the podcast, we're going to talk with RJ Abadia. He's uh, covers Stanford football for the bootleg.com. We're going to give a preview of the conference opener for USC and Stanford, and for the whole conference, actually, USC versus Stanford, 5 p.m. at the Coliseum. Uh, we like to make it an interactive podcast, so if you have any questions or comments for the show, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com, or you can leave us a voicemail a couple different ways. 641-715-3900 is the phone number. Use extension 816-646 to leave us a voicemail. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Uh, leave a voicemail right from there on the left side of the page from any of your devices or your computer. So it's a different way to get a hold of us. And, of course, uh, follow us on iTunes or subscribe to us on iTunes, itunes.com slash podcast you can use itunes or any of your favorite podcasting apps listen to the show remotely uh, it's a great way to consume the podcast and if you if you get some time leave us some positive feedback on itunes leave us a five-star rating that would be great helps to promote the show and uh, so like i said this is going to be a stanford preview uh podcast but what i wanted to do is i'm actually supposed to go on rj's podcast to kind of talk about stanford so we're going to try to kind of combine those two and talk about USC and talk about Stanford kind of going back and forth a little bit. Um, So I wanted to welcome in RJ Abadia from theboolay.com. So we're kind of recording each other's podcast at the same time. It's kind of cool. Yes, this is the digital version of holding the door for each other (laughs) and having having two separate entrances. So we wanted to, you know, basically just preview the the conference opener, USC versus Stanford, right? I mean, we could, I I thought it'd be kind of fun to be able to go back and forth a little bit. We both kind of know what's going on. I've been following Stanford fairly closely, uh, you know, now that we're doing the podcast of champions too, and just kind of, you know, watching what's been going on. It, you know, it, I thought Stanford kind of could have went a couple of different ways this year. Obviously it wasn't the greatest, uh, start, uh, coming out of the gate, uh, you know, but kind of bounced back against UCF there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can, I, I thought it'd be fun to kind of go back and forth about USC and Stanford like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm ready. And I guess, uh, Stanford's the visitor. So, uh, I guess we can do baseball rules. You mind if I mind if I shoot one at you here to get oh, things started? Very, yeah, that's great. That sounds good. All right. So USC has scored oodles and oodles of points in its first two games. They're doing obviously a lot of things right on offense. One of the things they're doing right on offense is avoiding third down. But the thing I want to ask you about is they are currently four of sixteen to start the season on third down. Is that anything to be concerned about at this point, or? Just kind of a small sample size. No, I do think well, I think it's a little of both. I think there it, there's there's some concern there. It's a, certainly an area of concern. They haven't had that many. They really the starters only had three third downs against uh, Idaho. Uh, they were scoring you know big chunk plays. I think there was a series where they went or not a series, but like a, a stretch of the game where they got they had first and ten like eight series in a, like eight plays in a row. So I mean it wasn't even like they were getting a second down. Um, so I think, but the concern I saw just watching, it didn't look like they were all that comfortable when a third down play came in. Like it looked like it was more, 
looking for the exact right play for the down and distance as opposed to kind of running something that's um, very familiar. And I remember last year after the Fresno State game, they had a really good third down conversion rate. And Steve Sarkeesian actually talked about that saying, you know, we, we kind of just threw away the, okay, it's third and eight, we need to run a play like this. And they just ran what was more familiar and what was more comfortable and a play that they felt good about executing. And I think they kind of got away from that a little bit. So actually Steve Sarkeesian talked about it a little bit this week, and I think they'll get back to doing that more where less about the play call and more just about the players and, and letting them make a play. So, But I, I do think it's a legitimate concern. They didn't have a lot of opportunities, so it's a, it's a smaller sample size because they were getting all those chunk plays. But I think that's one area that you know you, you could look at you score, you're, you're winning your first two games by a combined score of 99 points. You got to try to nitpick and find something wrong. And that was certainly one of the bigger ones that I saw. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Obviously, I don't think USC fans expected any huge revelations in these first two games. I think they certainly expected wins, but I think, I think that number, that number kind of stuck out because there isn't really a lot to complain about otherwise. I mean, were there, any other concerns offensively besides the third down issues in you know, these the, two uh, weeks? Yeah, the first game against Arkansas State, who actually turns out to look like they're going to be a pretty good team, and USC you know, beat them pretty good 55-6, to six, um, and they were beating Missouri, I think it was in the fourth quarter, uh, the you know SEC East champion from last year, um, a team that has a lot of athletes and stuff, and they, used, they, they confused them on the pass rush a little bit, and I think uh, they got five sacks and they got after Cody Kessler and, and kind of made him throw on the run sometimes. So I think that was a concern. We don't really know if that was answered. I mean, they didn't have any sacks against Idaho, but it's certainly a different caliber of athlete. Those are both Sun Belt teams, but, um, Arkansas State, it was picked to win the, the Sun Belt. They likely could. Idaho could get relegated from the Sun Belt and be kicked out of there, which you don't really think about Idaho and Sun Belt. Uh, in the same sentence anyway, but I think that was one of the other concerns that, you know, that coming out of halftime in both games, uh, Idaho and Arkansas State did score. They, you know, they came out and got the ball first and had long sustained drives and were able to put points on the board. So I think there's certainly some concerns. I think the USC pass rush, uh, you'd like to see it be a little more, uh, you know, aggressive and, and, and get to the quarterback a little bit more. So I think there's certain spots, but it, you know, you're looking at the games, they played just about everyone. The, the Idaho game, they played every single eligible person, every walk on anyone that wasn't going to redshirt that was not injured played in that game. So I, I think they accomplished what they wanted to, but always, you know, there's always something you can look at. Yeah. And I'm glad you kind of brought up that both, both sides of the ball in terms of the sacks. I know there was some consternation after game one in terms of the offensive line. But I think at this point, five of the seven sacks USC's allowed came in that first game and maybe even came in that first half. So are we feeling a little bit better about the uh, the offensive line at this stage? Yeah, I think that they also kind of were, they're doing this platooning system. So it's a, they went from last year, depth was a problem to now depth is a uh, positive. It's a strength of this team. And they were doing a lot of platooning and changing guys around on the offensive line. So I think they tried to like, tone that down a little bit and not just, you know, have one guy play three different spots on the line, just, you know, almost for just experimental stages and stuff. So, but yeah, the last, you know, three halves of football, I think they might've given up one sack or something. So it it doesn't seem like that's as big of a concern. You did, you're not going to face the same kind of athletes you will uh, with a team like Stanford. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about that, but I, I think it's something that they felt like was an issue really for the first half of that first game. And they kind of, you know, cleared some of the stuff up there. All right. And then just, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, 
I'll get off the I'll get off the hosting desk here in a second. Just <laughs> no, you're fine. just one more. Yeah, no, one more for you. So, um, you said the USC pass rush a little bit of a concern. Now they've only had two sacks. In your mind, when you talked about they being more aggressive, is that really more an issue of USC maybe dialing some more things up as we get into Pac-12 play? Or is it a question of the the front seven or, or the front four not getting there the way you may have expected to start the year? Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. They they're much deeper on the defensive line now. They have the three, you know, for their you know three four kind of scheme. Their three defensive line spots. They're playing nine guys for those three spots. So they just didn't have those kind of big bodies. You know, bringing in five true freshman defensive linemen, I think certainly helped. Uh, they get Kenny Bigelow back. Um, he was a five, former five star guy that was hurt all of last year. So they have a lot of bodies. They have a bunch of seniors and a bunch of freshmen, which is, so it's kind of an interesting, uh, mix. I don't know if any of them are like a, you know, this dedicated, uh, tremendous individual pass rusher. Um, but you have a lot of, you know, people in there that can kind of make plays. You got a guy like Sue Cravens play on the outside that can, you know, rush the passer a little bit. Um, and some of the freshmen linebackers, I think they're, that are helping out. But to me, it's more really about, scheme wise that they were so vanilla last year and I think they were just trying to be uh, protective of the numbers they had they weren't trying to blitz very much they weren't bringing more than four people uh, on any given down it just didn't seem like they were trying to push the issue and uh, you know wreak havoc a little bit in the backfield so I, I do think on an individual basis you want to see some of those guys make plays but it's it's really to me more about the scheme and being able to you know blitz some different guys from different spots and you know you know try to cause some confusion on the you know, on the other side of the ball. All right. Well, I think we got a pretty good idea of what we can expect along the line for USC and Stanford. Uh what uh what's the first question you've got on your mind as you look at Stanford headed into this game? So RJ, so I was uh you know we do the the podcast of champions like we talked about. And so we're you know we're really trying to get behind the Pac-12 and I I'm always harping on these out of conference games and it 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 always bothers me when you see a Pac-12 team gonna go on, go on, lay an egg really against a, a weaker out of conference foe. And that's exactly really what, in my opinion, what Stanford did in that first game. I, I was frustrated watching it, just knowing that a uh, fifth year senior quarterback, Kevin Hogan, it didn't seem like, uh, David Shaw was letting him throw the football down the field very much. It seemed like everything was kind of tight up near the line of scrimmage, really where the, you know, the Northwestern defensor, the defensive players were playing. And it didn't seem like, it was allowed to open up much. And even in the first half of the, the UCF game, it kind of seemed like that. The flea flicker play happened, and then it seemed like the floodgates opened. But what was your assessment of what went wrong for Stanford offensively? Because it didn't seem like with that returning offensive line and with a fifth-year senior quarterback, it should have looked that limited against a really mediocre Big Ten school. Yeah, you know, I, I think you kind of hit a lot of the points that Stanford fans and everybody was kind of wondering. And, and frankly... In the post-game press conference after that Northwestern game, the question was put to to David Shaw. John Wilner of the uh, of the Mercury asked him, you know, was this a case where Stanford was kind of holding some things back because it's game one and you're not going to show everything? And and that was really the only question where David Shaw kind of seemed a little rankled and a little frustrated. And and I don't know if defensive is the word, but frankly, he offered. Yeah, he told everyone that if, if we had a play for him, he'd try to get it in the next week against Central Florida. So, uh, I, to me, it kind of struck a nerve. And, and frankly, 
for all the reasons that you named, the offense should not have struggled nearly as much. And I'll, I'll give you some more reasons. Um, Christian McCaffrey uh, is a player who's playing for Stanford this year, and he's in his second year. And with a guy like that, it shouldn't be that tough to stretch the field and concern defenses. They've got... They've got a wealth of tight ends. They've got a whole crew of tight ends that they're using. They've got speed position, speed players at wide receiver. Now, in that Northwestern game, Devin Kajust was limited. He was limited due to an ankle injury, and it essentially cost him the first half and put him on kind of a 30-play 30, a 30 count was what he was in for. Uh, and Michael Rector, for still undisclosed reasons, was suspended for the first half of that game, and, and certainly that hurt, but... But I think the larger issue is what you what you spoke about, and that's just simply being aggressive. If you if you look at what Stanford did against Central Florida, and you look at what it did against Northwestern, the Northwestern game really hinged on one drop ball that Hogan threw deep. He had Rector open, and it was the one pass attempt of the day, and Rector dropped it, and that was basically you could just sense the air going out of the Stanford offensive balloon. Now contrast that to this week where there was a huge downfield pass to Isaiah Brand Sims that got dropped. And the reason we're not talking about it is because there were five or six other deep shots downfield. And Stanford was rewarded, as you saw on the flea flicker, uh, by Hogan and by Michael Rector. So there was just a lot. It, it was just it was just an epic system fail. The blocking was not great. Hogan was not great. And And more than anything, I think the coaches just were not as aggressive as they need to be, and that was something they certainly addressed in the UCF game. What uh, what do you think of the offensive line? I thought it was going to be a really good returning offensive line. I, I, I still think that, but what, what are your thoughts on what the Stanford offensive line has looked like or, or what you expect them to be for the rest of the season? Well, you know, I think it's funny because I, I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet uh, during that Northwestern game, someone was asking you about the Stanford Power running game, and you kind of commented that, well, it was kind of there in the first half. But truth be told, that identity is pretty much gone in terms of Stanford's offensive offensive output. They were not a dominant offensive line in terms of running the ball last year. And just to give you a, a very – well, there's only two games, but I'll give you a, a pretty brief snapshot – for the drives that Kevin Hogan was in last Saturday, Stanford averaged just under 12 yards in attempt, a pass attempt with Kevin Hogan. With Kevin Hogan in as the quarterback, they averaged less than three yards a carry, and that's against Central Florida. And that was actually up. They only had 85 yards rushing in Northwestern. So I think a big part of what's happening is that there's – there's been kind of a forced evolution for Stanford football. They're just not that team anymore, or at least they're not that team right now. They weren't that team last year. Um, a lot of the blame got put on the absence of the traditional Stanford bell cow runner. There's nobody like Toby Gerhardt, Stephon Taylor, Tyler Gaffney. There's nobody carrying the ball on the team. There's skill and there's talent at that position, but there's not those guys. Now, getting back to the offensive line, they did actually perform pretty well last year in terms of pass protection, in terms of penalties. They measured up just fine with Stanford offensive lines of the past. But the bottom line is, as things stand right now, this isn't a dominant group, at least not in terms of the running game, at least not yet. Uh, yeah, the defensive side of the ball, I felt, is where everyone said there was going to be a lot of rebuilding. 
Uh, but, you know, Utterly played really well against UCF and just gave up that late uh, touchdown there. What have you seen from the this younger defense and how it's developed over the first couple games? Well, I think that once again, you know, last year before before the 2014 season started, we we all kind of assumed Stanford would take a step back. And I think we underestimated the the core group of coaches, the, you know, um, Randy Hart on the defensive line, Lance Anderson, the defensive coordinator and Dwayne Aquina with the defensive backs. This year, I think we all kind of made the same we all kind of made the same call. We said, wow, look at all the players they're going to lose. How is Stanford not going to take a step back? And and overall, I think they probably will take a step back in terms of being a top five or a top ten national defense. But this defense has performed pretty well through the first two through the first two games. I mean, Northwestern wasn't great, but bottom line, they gave up 16 points. That should be enough to win. And then last Saturday, I think you saw you saw some further development, and I think what people are excited about is that defensive secondary. You got a lot of young players: um, Elijah Holder, Alamine Murphy, Ben Edwards. Uh, these are guys who are very young, freshmen and sophomores. Terrence Alexander. These are these are underclassmen who are playing for Stanford, who have looked pretty good and pretty aggressive through two games. Now, of course, the the curve is steep. You know, headed into a headed into a game against USC in the Coliseum. But but I think the biggest reason for excitement, I think, would have to be the defensive secondary and the way they've held up and the talent they've shown. Biggest reason for concern has to be the thin the thin status of the defensive line. I don't know, RJ, do you want to switch the hosting news again? Do you have more questions or how do you want to proceed? I do. I do. Yeah, no, well do tag tag out, tag in. Yeah. I, I got I got one for you. Um historically Penalties have been an issue for USC, and historically, it's been a strength for Stanford. Uh, 2014, that was certainly the case. USC had the second most penalties in the Pac-12. Stanford had the second fewest. This year, it's only a small sample size, but USC is actually tied for third for the fewest penalties, and Stanford's actually had the most. Now, I'll, I'll give you the pass on the Stanford commentary, but... Is USC playing cleaner this year, or have they just played teams that haven't put them into a position to commit penalties? You know, I think they've actually played cleaner. I think some of it has to do with the conference itself and bringing in a new, whatever they call it, vice president of officiating, or, you know, they brought in the, the NFL. guru. Yeah, we, they, you know, we got to hear from him at Pac 12 Media Day, and he kind of gave like these long, boring explanations about this and that and how do you run like what officials are supposed to do and blah 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 but i felt like the pac-12 might get a better handle on the flag situation which i think was overblown a little bit i just think that you know the conference as a whole they were almost defaulting to throwing a flag and and controlling the game more from the officiating spot than than not and even the games where it was usc versus an overmatch opponent USC would still end up with 12 penalties or something somehow. So it's not even just the opponent. I, we've seen this before. USC could be blowing someone out and still have a ton of penalties. So the fact that the opponent-wise, I don't think it matters as much. You know, if they get a whole bunch against Stanford, you can kind of throw all that out the window. But they look like they've played a little bit cleaner, RJ. Um, but I do think as a whole, the conference isn't maybe you know trying to dominate games with officiating, That at least the, the games that I've been watching like they've had in the past. Uh, you know, I it, maybe that's the best commentary is that I've watched. I tried to watch it almost every single Pac-12 game this year, and not once was I like, oh, the officials are really kind of taking this over. Uh, but, you know, in years past, it happens 
you know, quite a bit, as you know. Yeah, no, and I think maybe the only other shoe that we'd have to wait to drop is, is that going to change in conference play? Because I do feel like, you know, I feel like, you know, the same frustration that you just, that you just, you just talked about, you know, and I feel like there have been seasons where you got the impression in the non-conference, oh, okay, they're going to kind of let them play. It's going to play out. But then we get into the conference season and suddenly it's Flagapalooza. But I, I think, <laughs> I think, I think overall maybe reason for hope. But again, let's see what this first conference game looks like in terms of the flags. Now, what do you think about Stanford leading the, the league in, in flags? Cause I mean, obviously that would kind of go against the, they have, you know, the teams that, at Stanford's a team traditionally that hasn't been, you know, receiving a lot of flags. Why do you think it's been that way so far, through, at least through two games? Well, you know, I'll tell you, Stanford clearly, who are either, either the officials working the Stanford game or Stanford didn't get the memo last Saturday <laughs> because they, they cracked the century mark in penalties. And I, I can't tell you that that is, that that's been a, that, that's been a very common occurrence in the, in the Jim Harbaugh or the David Shaw eras. But, you know, frankly, David Shaw pointedly refused to comment on the officiating. There was some, there was some questionable calls, I think, uh, in terms of the, the ejection of Aziz Shatu and a couple of other personal foul calls, things that are really kind of uncharacteristic of Stanford teams. And I, I would expect that to be held in the check. Now, what Stanford cannot pin on the officials is the illegal substitution, illegal formation calls, and there have been plenty of those. And that that's kind of that's kind of inexcusable, and that kind of points a little bit to the offensive line because you know, well, first of all, substitution is just huddling, and you'd think that wouldn't <laughs> be a problem, but through two games it has been. But but really, you know, defensively, I feel like they've played pretty clean. Offensively, definitely some room room to improve in terms of cleaning up the penalties. Can you maybe talk about uh, Christian McCaffrey a little bit and like kind of what he brings to the table? I know you know David Shaw is very high on him. We got to hear Steve Sarkeesian this week talk about how the you know offense goes through him, leading you know rusher, leading receiver, special teams. He kind of just he does everything for Stanford. It seems he does, and I think that you know as a Stanford fan, I think it's kind of a good a good contrast because I think. I think with USC, when you talk about a certain level of, of athleticism, you're kind of used to it, or it doesn't necessarily stick out, or it takes a little more to make it stick out. But in terms of Christian McCaffrey, this is a guy who last Saturday executed a stop and start as a running back on a running play. And, and you know, at this level of college football, there are not a lot of guys who can stop start again and turn it into something positive and he did and I think that's that's an indication of of his athleticism and and he's just a solid football player I mean that's the other part of it he he's a really really good football player he's got instincts you know that phrase everyone always tries to use he gets it you know with the ball with the ball in space he knows what to do um I think the most interesting thing so far is that Stanford is still kind of learning how and where he can be most effective because, you know, he's going to get carries this year. He's going to run the ball. He's a tailback. That's what he was recruited as. But frankly, when I look at him play, I see Wes Welker. Uh, he has hurt teams from the slot. And I think, in my mind, that's his most dangerous position on the field. So overall, you know, 
as much Christian McCaffrey as possible is a good thing for Stanford football because he's a true, a truly dynamic game breaking player. Uh, do you want to talk about special teams a little bit? Um, just, you know, it's a, it's a third of the game. We don't always get to discuss things. We haven't seen a lot, at least on the USC side, we haven't seen a ton, um, of kind of what's been going on. You know, they, uh, you know, they, they've had some issues as far as, you know, they haven't punted a whole lot and the punting average was kind of eh. So we haven't seen much. We haven't seen really any kind of big returns. Adoree Jackson's kind of been like the jack of all returns, you know, to return guys for USC. He got hurt in the first game and really didn't get a whole lot of opportunities in the, in the second game. Um, you know, kickoffs are like decent. Their coverage has been kind of decent. Nothing really, you know, stood out as far as USC special teams goes through the first two games. But I think it could be a big factor in this game either way. Yeah. And I think it could be a big factor in a lot of different places. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is the return game for Stanford. And so punt return, kick return, if something happens, the odds are, are very good that it's going to be him that does it. And I would argue that with a Dory Jackson, kind of the same situation for USC. So, so like you said, you know, it's a, it's the least talked about aspect of the game. But when you're talking about these two teams, don't go to sleep on the pump plays or the kickoffs because both of these teams have guys who can make a difference. But I, I kind of want to ask you about the kicking situation sure. because both, both of us had questions. Both teams, Stanford and USC had questions headed, uh, headed into the season. And I'm not sure from USC's point, they've really been answered. Alex Wood one for one on field goals and he's had 32% touchbacks, which is not a spectacular, spectacular number. Eyeball wise, what, what do you think of him so far? Um, well, he, they gave him a scholarship and USC, I think has six players now, special teams guys on scholarship, which is kind of crazy. Uh, they had, they brought in Matt Boremeister last year as a blue shirt and he was supposed to compete. He actually has a stronger leg. We just haven't seen all that much of him. He's a lefty and uh, Alex Wood is a righty. Just, I don't think it, Alex Wood's got the same kind of leg strength, but he's fairly consistent on the field goals, but they haven't really put him in a situation where, you needed a 40 yarder for, you know, to tie the game or take the lead or anything like that. So I, he's kind of an unproven commodity, I guess you could say. Like they, you know, like you said, he's only had one field goal all year. Normally you're seeing his kickoffs kind of go two or three yards deep and they, they would like to get the touchbacks, but those are getting returned and they're not usually making it out to the 25 yard line. So it's, it's not probably terrible kind of what they're doing as long as the coverage doesn't break down. But yeah, they, they don't have that guy that really can kind of boom it. Uh, you know, through the end zone and, and on the punting side, uh, Chris Alvarado has a booming leg. We got, the, but the consistency hasn't been there. And I, for the issue I have is he's really good at near the 50 yard line, kind of pinning a guy, uh, you know, inside the 20. But the more important punt for me is usually the flip in the field when you're punting from inside your own 20 and being able to get it out to the, you know, the, the other side of the field somewhere. And, it, right. The first game, he didn't, wasn't able to really do that. The second game, he had a, an opportunity and boomed one, I think, from like his own 15 to like the other 35. So that was really good. So I think that's one of those things. Those are hidden yards. That could be 20 yards or a difference of 20 yards. And you're talking about letting an offense start at the 50 as opposed to their own 30. It's usually a big deal. So yeah, I think they got to get a little more consistent in the punt game. Yeah. And, you know, from Stanford's end of things, they've basically gone with the absolute division of labor. We've got Jake Bailey, freshman, handling the kickoffs, and his numbers have been right around um, what the SC what the SC number has been in terms of touchbacks. 
about 35, 30%. I think maybe even a little bit less now that I'm thinking about it. But um, he's going to handle the kickoffs. Alex Robinson is handling the punts, and he's done a good job so far for Stanford. He's second in the conference with a just under 44 yards average. Um, he's had to do it more than we'd like to have seen, but but he's looked solid so far. And then field goal kicker has been won by Conrad Ukrapina, who in an emergency role was kicking for Stanford the last time these two teams played at the Coliseum, and uh, that didn't work out so well, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, but he's looked good. He, By all accounts, he won the job. He stepped up and won the job. It wasn't a default situation. And he's made his first three kicks through two games, and that's that's all we got. And one of them was a 52-yarder. So I guess feeling a little bit better, but, you know, it's it's – it's against the big teams. It's on the road where you find out what you have kind of in all these categories. For sure. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think special teams will play uh, a fairly big role in this. Um, you know, the, the big storyline last year, RJ, you know, is that Stanford moved the ball between the thirties so well, and then just kind of stalled out in the red zone. Has, has anything kind of changed with the red zone offense? Do you think over, you know, from, from last year, is there, were the things addressed? Uh, does that come up much? But that's just, that was kind of like the big storyline. And you realize after the game, holy cow, like Stanford moved the ball every single time and then it would just stall out. Yeah. No, believe me. I, I realize it. I wrote, you know, upwards of 10,000 words on that, on that issue. And red zone is, is, is a term that never strays far from, from the concern of Stanford fans. I guess all I can say at this point is, I mean, first of all, they, they skirted the issue against Northwestern because they just never got there. Um, so that wasn't great. But uh, I saw some creativity. I saw some good calls uh, in the red zone against Central Florida. I thought they utilized their talent. They utilized Hogan. You know, David Shaw talks about a couple a couple points when he talks about red zone execution. He says, you know, you need you need a quarterback, you need an athletic quarterback, you need to have confidence running the ball, and you need to be able to find matchups. Now, they've got a quarterback who is comfortable running the ball with Kevin Hogan, and he's he's kind of a load. He he can be a tough a tough guy to bring down. You know, they've got matchups now with as I said with the with the crew of tight ends, with the receivers. Devin Kajust is a big receiver. He can be he can be a target down there. They've got McCaffrey that they can work with. So really, it's going to come down to the offensive line and just how solid can they be in the trenches at the goal line. Because, yeah, as you as you reminded us, Stanford, Stanford moved the ball against USC last year. They didn't score the ball, and that was ultimately the difference in the game. Uh, injury-wise, maybe we can give people an update on the injury front. Um, been weird. I just uh, USC just really hasn't had any major injuries or it didn't seem like very many of them. Um, they, Lamar Dawson, the starting middle linebacker who was kind of coming back from injury and had a really good spring, uh, hadn't played in the first two games. Looks like he's going to have a chance, you know, th- at least a chance to play. They had a true freshman starting at middle linebacker, Cameron Smith, and he's actually leading the team in tackles through the first two games. So they might get the Lamar Dawson back, the senior middle linebacker. Uh, Kevon Seymour uh, looked like, Something with his knee this week in practice. He hasn't really done much uh, so far. I, I'm not. I'm guessing he's not going to play, and they might bring back because they don't have a ton of depth uh, at the cornerback spot. They've kind of rotating three or four guys, and they do like to have um, Adore Jackson play a bunch of offense. So they'd like to have some other guys come in and give him a little rest so he could play some offense too. 
But Isaiah Langley uh, is a Northern California guy, um, and he uh, he, he was been working with the scout team for the first couple weeks. They actually took off that black jersey from practice, and he was practicing with the basically the second team defense uh, this week. So he might have his red shirt that you know he was kind of slated the red shirt. He might have that removed and kind of get himself into the cornerback rotation this week if uh, Kevon Seymour, the senior, isn't able to go. But for the most part, RJ, it's a really kind of healthy team. Um, they're playing a lot of guys and playing, you know, they've played 14 true freshmen so far. If Langley comes in against Stanford, that would be the 15th true freshman that ends up playing. But it's deeper and really not a lot of guys. You know, last year they would have been better not to have any guys hurt. This year they, they could actually afford to have a few guys hurt and you never wish an injury on anyone, but they really haven't had that much going on as far as the injuries go. Yeah. And as far as Stanford goes, there's nothing new to report, but the, the, the big, the big injury is the loss of Harrison Phillips, defensive lineman for the season. Uh, this was an area where Stanford was thin coming in. And if you look at the depth chart now, you know, Stanford plays a base three, four. So you're talking about three defensive, three defensive line positions. And if you look carefully, Stanford has four names for the two deep. So six spots are occupied by four different players, and that's a huge concern for Stanford. First of all, playing an offensive line as physical as USC, and secondly, playing a team that plays at the tempo of USC. Now, things got even worse last Saturday when Aziz Shatu was ejected from the game, um, but he's going to be available, and so you're basically talking about a core group of Solomon Thomas, Aziz Shatu, Brennan Scarlett, the uh, transfer from Cal, and then Jordan Watkins on the on the defensive line, and that's basically it. Everywhere else, uh, Stanford's Stanford's a lot like USC. You know, they're running in they're running in different linebackers. They've got a good number of defensive back players who are getting in on rotation, so that shouldn't be too much of a factor. And then offensively, they're they're as clean as they've been. Uh, Devin Kajust should be as close to 100% as he's been all year, and that was really the only major injury concern uh, headed into the season. So overall, pretty good for Stanford, but that D-line, watch that D-line. If it's if it's a game on, on Saturday deep into the fourth quarter, or if it ends up not being a game, it may very well be because Stanford's defensive line just couldn't hold up. Um. Health-wise, both teams look fairly healthy. That's a good thing. I know there's been some other schools that have been kind of uh, devastated through injuries. But the weirdest part of what you said was when you said the the transfer from Cal. Like, isn't that just strange to say that? It's strange to say all the way around. I mean, as you know, Stanford Stanford doesn't get a lot of guys in free agency, as I as I like to call it. Yeah. Um, not a lot of opportunities for transfers. For football. So that was strange. The other part of it that is strange is, you know, from Cal. And normally we don't really <laughs> like to take anything from Cal under any circumstances. But I got to say, he's been good. He's been really good. He's been really solid for Stanford. He's got a great motor and he's been a good player for us. And I think maybe a little of the X factor, his brother plays on Stanford. So I think for him, this was kind of a great opportunity and a fit, and uh, it's worked out well so far. I don't know what Cal's return policy is, if uh, <laughs> if he turns out to be a bust. I think maybe our 30 days are up, but uh, but that's okay, because we definitely like what we've seen so far from him. Pretty interesting. Well, I think it's going to be, a, I mean, obviously the first conference game of the season. Uh, it's a big one. 
Um, I mean, the spread's 10 points, which is, you know, bigger than the spread usually is uh, for a game like this. But uh, it, it should be a really interesting one on Saturday night. Yeah, I just a couple little takes I wanted to get from you. Number sure. number number one, you know, we have for the last couple of years expected the offense to show up. You know, there's been talent all over the field on both sides, and I think both sides have kind of assumed there'd be points scored, and that has not been the case the last two years. Now, going into this year, it sure seems like, once again, we're all looking at the offense on both sides. What kind of game do you think it's going to end up being this Saturday? You know, um, listening to the players and listening to the coaches kind of this week, I get the feeling that, and and this was something at the end of last year, I think Steve Sarkeesian was trying to address. They really felt that depth was a problem, and they tried to protect the depth by taking the air out of the ball and slowing things down. And I'm never a proponent of doing that, especially when you have a talent advantage. It's kind of like when you're playing poker. If if you're better, if you're a better poker player than the person you're playing, you'd rather play more hands than less hands. The fewer hands you play, the less that talent gap kind of, you know, is able to, you know, stretch out and um, you know, you take advantage of that talent gap, uh, right. in, in level of play. And I think the same kind of thing, USC should, you know, usually is going to be more talented than anyone they play. They should try to run as many plays as possible. And I think they're going to do that. So I think you're going to see a, a faster pace, a faster tempo. Um, maybe they did the same kind of thing where they're scoring big chunk plays, but then they go three and out when they don't have success on first or second down. But I think they're going to try to up the ante a little bit and, and wear out especially that Stanford defensive front, um, they're not going to try to protect the defense anymore. And I think the defense will be a little bit more aggressive. So I, I do think you're going to see more points. There could be some big plays from Kevin Hogan if they take away some of the stuff at the line of scrimmage and, and really force him to kind of throw over the top of the linebackers. I think that he could have some success there too. So I think the way USC is going to play, it might force the ante a little bit and kind of get it to be more of a fast-paced game. Uh, but I, I think there's going to be a lot more points in this game than what we've seen in years past. I don't know what you think about. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I refuse to learn from history, certainly not recent history, because <laughs> I, I do think there's going to be scoring. I don't know if we're talking a game in the 40s, but I'm pretty sure the winning team's going to be somewhere in the 30s uh, on Saturday. And, um, yeah, I think it, it should be a great game. I think the 10-point spread is the – clear result of Stanford's no show against Northwestern. I think yeah. if they were I think if they were two and oh under pretty much any circumstances, um, the spread might be a little bit closer. But um I think you gotta respect too what USC's done. I mean, like you said, opponent quality or not, you still gotta go out there, you still gotta execute, and they have certainly done that in the first two games. Yeah, we've seen on you know, unfortunately that first week it got better in the second week, but we've seen Pac twelve teams, you know, with their superior team losing and so I think there is something to be said for taking care of business. You can't take a whole lot out of it, but that's really all you can do whenever you line up. And you know that USC beat the hell, you know, heck out of Idaho. I think Idaho's awful, awful team. I do think Arkansas State's a pretty good team. The fact that they were able to, you know, play really tight with Missouri uh, from the SEC the, the the following week, and USC put up fifty five points on them, only let them score six. So I think there's something to be said from that. You can take a little bit more away from that one. Uh, but this is really where everyone's bread's going to be buttered. This is where we want to see what's going on. Can you take, you know, we, we haven't seen Steve Sarkeesian be that 10, 11 win head coach before. We've seen him take a terrible team and take, take it to be good. He's got the potential to take a good USC team and make it great. And if it's going to be a great team, they're going to have to, to beat Stanford and probably beat them by the spread. 
Um, and we, you know, so we'll have to wait and see if he's able to do that. You know, how does he coach? Does he, does he change things? Do they start, does he start calling the plays again? We're not really sure what to expect, but the way both teams are kind of rolling right now, I, I, that's why I guess why you'd see that 10 point spread there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So one more thing before we, before sure. we wrap it up here. The weekender, uh, there was a price to be paid for keeping it. And part of the price is having to start conference play in week three, which no other Pac-12 team is going to have to do. And it certainly has implications moving forward, the fact that Stanford is going to play USC and Oregon every single year, and and Cal as well, and, and UCLA. From your perspective, is it worth it to keep the weekender? That's a really good question. Um, I think just being able to have all the California teams play each other is important. You know, it's been a you know, part of the, the Pac-10, the Pac-12, whatever, you know, for, for years and years. And I think it's a tradition that I, that I like them sticking around. The problem is that sometimes you're playing like on a Thursday night and it's not really a weekender really anymore. It's, you know, uh, if you're playing on Thursday, if USC is going to Cal on Thursday night, it's like, you know, you can't really drive up for the weekend and spend the, have all the, yeah. you know, spend everything in San Francisco. Um, I, so it, it doesn't bother me playing a conference game early. Other conferences do it. I'd like to be able to keep it. Um, but you know, it, it's tough because you know, you're talking about playing, you know, you miss Oregon every couple of years. You'd like to be able to play a team like that. And, um, so there's, there's some, you know, disadvantages to, to, to doing that, but I kind of like it just having the California team play each other. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was always kind of a no brainer because these are the two biggest TV markets, right? In the whole conference. So why would you not want to lock in? your four biggest audiences every year. I think from that point of view, it made sense. And, and, you know, obviously the rivalry with, with Stanford from the USC point of view is never going to have the, the mojo that the Notre Dame rivalry does, but Stanford is USC's oldest opponent and they've been going at it. And traditional, you know, I don't mind change in a lot of different ways, but I think Stanford and USC should be playing each other every year. Yeah, it's a big rivalry now. You know, it started with Harbaugh and Pete Carroll, and it still, you know, still went on in the NFL for a while. And you know, I think it's continued on, and it's just, it's become one of those big games, and and two teams that have, uh, you know, play with power, and and you know, Stanford's had all the BCS success recently. Uh, I just, I just think that it's been this powerful rivalry that the the players. I mean, it's up there with the, you know, the Notre Dames and UCLA's of the world. I think it's, it's clearly the, you know, in the top three, uh, maybe it was Cal before. Um, but I just, I think the players look forward to playing Stanford more than just about everyone else on their schedule besides their two kind of traditional, you know, rivalries. Yeah. And I think it, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a fun time one way or the other. I think it should be an entertaining game on Saturday and, uh, may the best team win. Unless USC is better, in which case I want the lesser team to win, I guess. Well, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing, uh, you know, how this plays out. It, I, I talked to David Woods when we were doing our podcast of champions and just kind of get sick of, there's some good games in the Pac 12, but a lot of, he called them tomato cans. This is definitely not yes. a tomato can game. You know, this is a game between two powerful programs that have had, you know, recent and historic success and you just want to kind of see, where they really are. We kind of know, we thought we might know, but do we really? And I think we'll, a lot of questions will be answered. No, probably a lot more questions will come out of Saturday, but I think we'll get at least a lot of stuff answered. 
Yeah, it's USC, it's Stanford, and despite the fact that you and I just went through a nearly 45-minute conversation, you don't have to say much more than USC is Stanford <laughs> to get excited about it. So we want to thank Ryan Abraham for joining us once again. USCfootball.com is your one-stop shop for all things Trojan football and basketball, and we're very thankful to him for appearing here on Cardinal Sports Radio. And thank Thanks you. a lot, Ryan. Oh, thank you, RJ, and thank you from the bootleg.com. Do a great job covering Stanford, the Stanford Cardinal for scout.com. So we're all part of the same network. And RJ's been nice enough to come on our podcast of champions and help us out there. And we really appreciate you coming on the pod, uh, the Peristyle podcast. Talk about USC. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today on the Bootleg Red Zone Report. Catch us later this week as Stanford beat writer Do Young Park of the Stanford Daily wraps up USC Preview Week with a final look at the Cardinal as they head down to the land of the locusts to take on the Trojans this Saturday. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for the Peristyle Podcast, our Stanford preview. Thanks to RJ Abadia. Uh, actually, you could follow him on Twitter. Uh, he does a great job. You RJ underscore A-B-E-Y. TIA. And of course, you can go to the bootleg.com if you want more Stanford coverage. Uh, this is Ryan Abraham. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. And of course, USCfootball.com for all your USC coverage. But you've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by USCfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 